Hello there, and welcome to episode number 798. I just wanted to let you know before we start the episode that there is a two-part premium series uh, available now which deals with all the vocabulary items from this conversation. So I went through the conversation from today's episode and I picked out about 40 different items of vocabulary. Fixed expressions, phrasal verbs, idioms and more. And in P42, that's the premium series, I explain all of it with examples and context to help you understand this conversation better, but also to improve your English, to expand your vocabulary with the kind of phrases that people just use every day in conversations like this one. Uh, there's some grammar too, plus the usual pronunciation exercises to help you learn to speak English like me. To access the double premium episode for this episode of the podcast, plus all the other premium episodes I've ever created so far, uh, sign up to LEP Premium and you'll find a link in the description. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that life is treating you kindly today and that you're not being rained on or baked by the sun or stuck in traffic or being chased by a bear or something. If you are being chased by a bear, then well done for managing to press play on this episode of the podcast while also attempting to escape. Well done. And good luck as well. Maybe play this episode to the bear and he, or she, will suddenly become absorbed in the fascinating conversation that you're going to hear in this episode. And then you can become friends with the bear and bond over a mutual love and interest in listening to Luke's English podcast. Or just throw your phone at the bear as hard as possible and hope that it just leaves you alone. I don't know, but good luck with that. Okay, now I've got that out of my system, let's start properly. Welcome to this episode. This one is a conversation with Mysterious Al. Ooh, Mysterious Al. And you're thinking, who is Mysterious Al, Luke? Well, Mysterious Al is an artist from London, now based in Melbourne, Australia. Al is known as a street artist... He's also a contemporary artist in the more conventional sense, but he is often being called a street artist. So we're talking about art here in this episode, contemporary art, but more specifically street art. And street art is similar to graffiti, but it's not exactly the same thing. We'll discuss that during this conversation, the difference between graffiti and street art, as well as lots of other things. Al used to live in London and was working there at around the same time as Banksy, who is probably the most well-known name in this particular field. You've heard of Banksy, right? I guess. Banksy is famous for his stenciled street art in the UK, particularly in London and in Bristol. 
A lot of people have heard of Banksy. So Al is a contemporary of Banksy and was part of the same scene as him in London. These days, Mysterious Al still displays artwork in outdoor urban areas, but he also produces canvases, fine art, prints on paper and NFTs in his studio, which he exhibits and sells privately. A canvas, by the way, is a work of art on a canvas in the traditional way. A wooden frame with some canvas material stretched over it and then a painting is done on that surface and then it's presented or exhibited in a gallery. So Al does canvases and also work printed on high quality paper and also NFTs, which are a fairly new thing. I don't know if you've heard of NFTs. Um, NFTs in the art world are basically original, unique, digital art forms which can be bought and sold online, but not copied. And if you're not sure what NFTs are and blockchains and stuff, then listen on because we do explain that stuff. So these days, Al works in his studio in Melbourne, creating canvases and NFTs and stuff, as I said, and putting on interesting exhibitions. But he also works with councils and brands, making huge murals for buildings and various other projects. Al is an amazing artist. His work is really distinctive. And he's also just an interesting person to talk to. And so I thought it could be fascinating to interview him about his art, the specific ways that he makes it, and generally to make an episode of the podcast about the issues related to street art, graffiti, and what it's like to be a working artist today. I hope that you find it interesting and that you are motivated to keep listening all the way through. By the way, this podcast is for adult learners of English around the world. And I say that because some people listening to this or watching this might not know that. Uh, this is a podcast for people in different countries learning English and who want to listen to natural, authentic conversations as a way of developing their English skills. This conversation might be a bit difficult sometimes because it's not graded for a particular English level, but I have made a premium episode series in which I explain a lot of phrases that come up in this conversation. And if you listen to that and use the PDF that goes with it, it'll really help you understand this episode properly and you'll definitely learn more English vocabulary from it, as well as work on your pronunciation too. So to get the most from this, you could check out Luke's English Podcast Premium Series P42 and you can get it in your podcast app through Acast Plus by signing up at teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. So that's the that's a premium series I'm doing about this episode. So English learners, hello, we're about to start the episode, but to get your mind in the right space for this, which will help you understand it all a bit better, here are some questions for you to consider. If you like, you can discuss these questions for some speaking practice, maybe with your English teacher or conversation partners in English, or just on your own, out loud, or in your head. But anyway, here are some questions for you. So we'll start with graffiti. So do you live in a place where there is graffiti? Do you see graffiti around you? And what do you think when you see graffiti? How do you feel about it? Is graffiti a form of art? Or is it a crime or both? And what do you think when you see a piece of graffiti in a certain spot, which must have been very difficult to reach, 
like high up on a building. Every now and then you see graffiti or a piece of art, like a mural or something, and you think, how on earth did they do that? For example, if it's high up on a building or next to the train tracks, what do you think when you see a piece of work in a place like that? Uh, who is graffiti for? And what's the purpose of it? Do you know the names of the different types of graffiti or street art? For example, these things, tags, posters, stencils, stickers, murals, blockbuster murals, and wild style. And when I say the word wild style, obviously that makes me sound very cool, like, I'm, like I know about graffiti and stuff. <laughs> so tags, tags are, a, a tag is when someone basically writes their name um, I mean, not their name, but maybe their their kind of um, uh, their pseudonym um, quickly on a wall or something, often with a marker pen, right? Or maybe a sp uh, with with spray paint. That's a tag. Uh, a poster is just a paper poster which is pasted to a wall with paste. A paper poster quickly pasted to a wall. Uh, stencils. So a stencil is when it's probably made of cardboard, I suppose, and some pieces have been cut out from the cardboard, leaving spaces in the middle, right? It could be a picture or maybe some words that have been cut out of a piece of cardboard. The cardboard is then held against the wall and then psh, the, the artist sprays spray paint all over the stencil. And then when the stencil is removed, uh, there's a picture or some words left on the wall you know the, the 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 pieces that were cut out of the cardboard leave a um, leave a picture on the wall. So that's um, stencil murals. These are large pieces uh, on walls, and then blockbuster murals. These are huge pictures that take up the entire sides of buildings, and then wild style, which I mentioned earlier. Um, which, as far as I understand it, this means the large letters and words painted on a wall or painted on a train or something in a very stylized way. And it looks amazing. I mean, uh, I do when it's good, wild style, wild style graffiti does look amazing, but I can't read it. As a font, it's not a functional font, is it really? Wild style graffiti. I mean, if you... I mean, obviously, it's just stylized. It's meant to look good. But I, personally, I can never read it. Can you? I'm just sort of like, wow, that looks cool. I've got no idea what it says. So it's not a, it's not a functional, practical font. It should never be used for functional or practical reasons. I mean, is it a font? No, it's not really a font, but you know what I mean. It's not a functional way of writing. I'm saying this as a linguist, you know. Like, wild style graffiti should never be used for signposts, right, while driving. Because, uh, you know, be driving down the, the road. Oh, that looks cool. But what does it say? Stop. Oh, God. Too late. Smash. Anyway. And there are probably other, many other types of graffiti as well. So this conversation is not all about graffiti, though. It's also about art and the life of an artist. So what do you think of the world of art? What do you think of the way art is presented to people and also bought and sold? Obviously, there's the big, famous, expensive pieces that end up in the news, but also there's plenty of other art which is made and sold every day at much more reasonable prices. Where should art be exhibited? Should it be shown just in galleries or in other places? Do you find it interesting to look at art in galleries? Or do you think they could present art in a different and more exciting way somehow? 
What do you think the life of an artist is like? How do they spend their time? What are the challenges and advantages of living as an artist? How might social media be important for artists today? And which platforms do you think artists could use? What might be the good and bad aspects of having to use social media as an artist? Do you know anything about NFTs? Have you ever heard of NFTs? And what is a blockchain? And how could NFTs and blockchains change the way digital artists sell their work? So I could go on, but I think that's enough in terms of questions and information to get you in the right headspace for this conversation. This is a long episode. There's no need for me to make it even longer here in the introduction. But, you know, you can listen to as much or as little of this as you like. You can pause and continue later. That is the joy or just one of the joys of podcasting. Personally, I hope you listen until the end. I'll have another little word with you then. But now let's meet Mysterious Al. And here we go. I was just thinking, right, so you're, you're, where are you at the moment? I'm in Melbourne. I'm in my studio in Melbourne, Australia. Very nice. And it's mm. sort of end of the afternoon, sort of mid to end of the afternoon for you, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's almost three o'clock. Uh, and so, I, you know, I normally finish up here around like 4.30 and then I go and pick up the kids from their different daycares and then I go home. Very good. It's nearly seven o'clock in the morning for me, so it's still dark outside. You've had an early start for this. I appreciate it. It's so difficult, like, get, trying to get a decent time with Melbourne and anywhere else in the world. It's just, it is quite honestly impossible. It's always going to suck for someone. And, um, you know, you took one for the team today. So thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's all right. I don't mind getting up early, actually. It's fine. It's quite nice to be up before everyone else. But it's, it's totally dark outside. And normally my main source of light when I'm recording a video is the window in front of me, but it's just pitch black out there. So I've got this kind of like big light shining straight in my face. And, but I do oh, mate, have... look, you, you and me both, look what I've got. Oh yeah. I got you, one of these. Yeah, I got one of these. You've got one of those <laughs> ring, job. You've got kind of a ring light situation. Yeah, it's pretty good. I've also got a light behind me, which has got like all these different color controls. Okay. Oh yeah. So maybe this is just for the video people, but um, I was thinking, what what should I should I have it on? You can tell me what you think as a visual artist. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell Turn me what it on. Think. Let's see what let's see what the different let's options see what it can, are. Oh, mate, let's leave it like that. That's great. That's that a ambience. Kind of, it's a sort of a purpley kind of blue color in the background. It's just it's just a little cooler, isn't it? It's just a little easier on the eye. Then I've that's, got, that's great. Then it cycles through. Oh, no. There's a kind of red to orange. This is a bit cheesy, the way it cycles through the different colours. You don't like that, no? You should You should just put the blue on. Just stick with the blue. Yeah, yeah. It's quite nice the way... <laughs> first it, blue, that was good. It kind of goes more purple as it, as it goes higher up in the, okay. in the room, which is quite a nice look. That's looking good. Okay, well, if I edit this, Al from like saying hello to you to this then people are going to be like what happened why did the color suddenly change in the background i'm gonna to have to keep that in now okay first of all i guess the best thing to do is for you to introduce yourself sure if you don't mind yeah my name's al uh, i'm mysterious al i'm an artist uh and i'm living in australia at the moment but i'm from london mm -hmm. uh, so i've been here for 11 years and i guess i started off doing street art but now um I do more kind of uh, gallery stuff. So big walls, commercial walls, uh, I mean kind of ones that I've got permission to do. And um, 
commercial projects and paintings for shows. Yeah, so that this is your actual living now, isn't it, as an artist? Yeah, yeah. So it was like art. Yeah. I mean, for earlier on in my career, weirdly, earlier on, like right out of uni, I, I made a living as an artist kind of pretty much straight away because I did illustration work for brands, you know, mm. and for advertising and stuff like that. Um, but then, you, you know, that work kind of dried up a little bit and I just sort of didn't really, I kind of stopped enjoying it as much as I did. And and I always wanted to be like a, what I call a proper artist. And I, I don't mean that as a diss to any other kind of artist, but I mean like in its purest form, you know, like making art, you know, and, and, and selling it for, for the sake of art. Um, uh, and I, so I sort of always did that, but it was, a, it was kind of a side hustle, you know, um, and because it wasn't really paying the bills and then certainly when I moved to Australia like for my visa situation um, I had to get a, a normal job um, but that all changed um, at the end of 2017 which is when my, my daughter was born my daughter was born in 2017 and at the end of 2000 at the end of that year she was going to start going to daycare and I was like right well I don't have time to have a kid and a day job and a side hustle like I can't do all three so one of them had to go uh, and it was the day job thank goodness and, um, it, it, yeah well you know you couldn't really you know well it's sort of frowned upon I suppose you could have got rid of Marnie but um no no honestly like it it's been going really well ever since actually like the the, the first year was you know just a bit stressful because just kind of finding my feet and stuff but um you know I've been working really hard and um and things seem to be going okay touch wood so what does that actually mean then, being a full-time artist? What, what does that involve? What, what do you do? How do you spend your days? It involves a lot more than just painting and making art. Like, you know, a lot more that, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing that surprised me, you know. You've got to make your own work and you've kind of almost got to make your own opportunities or at least milk any opportunity you get for all it's worth, you know. And so there's a lot of making pitch documents, approaching people with ideas, uh, approaching galleries and seeing if you can get in you know just just things like that there are lots of um, in melbourne here there are lots of uh council kind of projects you know whenever there's a a new railway station or something they always commission a local artist to do an artwork so and we call those expressions of interest so there's always expressions of interest popping up and things that you can kind of put your name in for and generally that involves doing mock-up work and, and, and you know visualizing the sort of thing that you do if you've got the job so there's lots of that kind of stuff to be done, you know, and then just other stuff as well. Admin, uh, a lot of practicing, you know, a lot of doing bad paintings and waiting for good ones to come out. There's plenty and plenty of things to be kind of filling my day with, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, you know, maintaining a website. I've got like a, a, a quite a busy online store. Do you know what I mean? So that needs work doing to it. Like, and, and then there's social media as well, like which I hate, mm -hmm. you know, but you've got to be thinking about that a lot. You know, it seems that because of, Instagram reels and all that nonsense you know you you sort of you've got to be half artist half kids tv presenter these days it's like it's just awful <laughs> it's just absolutely awful but otherwise the algorithm will just kick you out won't it right you're not even on Instagram I went on your Instagram profile and you haven't posted anything for about five years that's right have you just given up with it I've got one post I, I set up Instagram put one post on it and they just never like used it ever again um, i noticed you won't know this because i just on my instagram i just took a little photo of my setup and said that i was going on your podcast and found your your user you'll never see it because you don't go on, on instagram it seems but i tagged you 
And then I, I visited your profile. I thought, shit, mate, I should really be fo- uh, following Luke. But I didn't bother Luke because no. there's just nothing happening there. I know, I know. It's just a waste of a follow. It's a, yeah, <laughs> I should probably make the most of Instagram, but it's just like, I mean, as you know, having to deal with social media and stuff, which is like a, just another thing that you have to do as part of the whole process. Instagram is just, I guess, just one little step too far. I do Twitter, I do YouTube, and uh, obviously the the podcast feed and and so on on my website. But then Instagram is just like, if there was one extra hour in the day, then I'd be posting on Instagram a lot more, you know. Instagram just feels, uh, it just doesn't feel good these days. Uh, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. It's quite a kind of toxic spot. How? And also, it just, well, there's just a lot of, you know, you know. Ne- I just feel that there's just a lot of negative energy on there. It mm. also makes a lot of people feel really bad about themselves, including myself. Because mm. you know, when things aren't going well, and you go on Instagram, and you know, people that you follow are painting a giant wall in LA or doing a collaboration with Nike or something, you're just like, man, you know. And it just it just makes you actually lose sight of all the good things that you are doing. You know, albeit in a smaller space, it's still just as important. Yeah, and so um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of conscious of that, and I sort of took a bit of a break from it a few years ago, and now I just take it with a, I, I treat it with a pinch of salt. I really, really do. I try not to spend any more time on there than I absolutely have to. Mm. Um, I, you know, it's it, it's just, you know, it's just it's just not a good spot. And the other thing is they keep changing the the goalposts, and you know changing the algorithm or whatever else and you can just get rugged you know straight away you know which, you can build which, a good following on there what do you mean you can get rugged that's a nice expression oh, they can just pull they can just pull the rug out from underneath you you're standing on a rug you know? and they just pull the rug and yeah you fall over like that it's you an can... expression it's an expression exactly that you know imagine you've spent a lot of time standing up right yeah oh yeah i should really be explaining these things okay so that's, that's what we're doing yeah we could we, we might have so to rugged exp- yeah, go on. It's an expression which basically means that they can um, trick you at the last minute or, or, or turn around at the last minute and treat you badly to fool you and, 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 and rug you, which comes from, I guess, in the Tom and Jerry cartoons where they pull a rug out from underneath someone, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so it's the, the classic rug pull is also something we say in the NFT space. You know, like if, if somebody promises the earth from a project and takes everybody's hard-earned uh, crypto – and then doesn't deliver anything. They just disappear into into the abyss, and that's called a rug pull. Okay. So r- rugged kind of comes from that. How do you get rugged on Instagram then? Instagram will rug you because they're the ones, um, you know, that are changing the algorithm and everything like this, you know. And so you can spend a lot of time building up a following, and then all of a sudden you're only you put a post up, and it's only reaching three percent of the people that that have given you a follow in the first place. So you might have 20,000 followers on Instagram. You, you know, your, your post might only be seen by 5% of them unless you pay Instagram the money to promote it. And Instagram follow, it favors, the, the algorithm favors some posts over others. So it favors any new kind of um, product that Instagram bring in, like reels or filters or anything like that. If you use those things, you know, then it will treat you more favor- favorably, the algorithm will. So... It's just a shame because it's gone from, you know, taking photos of the painting that I'm working on and sharing that to having to, like, produce some video that I don't really want to do in the first place. You know, and it looks terrible because I'm not a video producer. And I'm just fighting, trying to, try to you know, get anything out of the algorithm. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, I unfortunately do have to spend some time on Instagram because of my work. Um, but 
I, I'm trying to make it as little time as possible. I did read an article which said that of all the different types of social media, Instagram is probably the worst for your mental health. Because as you said, it's like, um, you know, it's a place where people put the absolute best version of themselves and they kind of make take these beautiful photographs that they've tried again and again and again to perfect. And so you just, you know, you just see everyone else being perfect and you, it just makes you feel kind of bad when you compare it's true. yourself. And, and not only that, the people that are creating these things, they're professional creators. It's their job to do this. You know, they've they've gone to a specific beach spent their money and probably spent three days trying to get the shot that looks yeah. really casual, you know? Yeah. And we all know this now. So, you know, why is it still, you know, why is it still a thing? Why are we all still doing it? You know, why are we all still getting kind of hurt by it? it, it it's, it's this weird thing because even though you know it, you know, you, you, you know what goes on behind the scenes and you know how kind of how it works and how sort of pathetic it is almost in a way it's still depressing isn't it when you know you're stuck at home or at work or whatever and you, you look at instagram and people look like they're all having a better time than you um and you know for me it's 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 professionally you know it's it always looks like people are doing better than i am for some people it's other people look like they're being having better holidays or you know they look like they're thinner or their boyfriend's hotter for me it's 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 career it's like people are getting opportunities that i'm not like and it, it is it's de demotivating and demoralizing and it's quite horrible it's kind of how it works though isn't it that's like how the machine works is it sort of drags you in with all of those sorts of emotions and the feelings that that you get as a result and that's why it's so compelling and why it's so addictive to kind of because it's constantly like pushing little buttons inside you that give you these feelings and stuff and 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 sometimes it's like a a rush of of uh dopamine and sometimes it's a feeling of envy but whatever it is the emotion is what gets you and that's how they keep you on the platform absolutely and not only that it encourages you you know it tells you what posts you know without you even asking it it will tell you if a post that you've done to perform better than the other ones so it's almost gaming you posting more stuff you know it's kind of said oh keep going and you know the people that have designed it you said about the dopamine hit but look it's all very very carefully worked out you know the little red notification like the sound that it makes like ever you know it's, it's you know it's, it's some seriously devious shit going on there yeah 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 that's right thanks a lot mark zuckerberg thanks for mm. basically just sort of manipulating our feelings all the time yeah totally um so anyway, going back to the art then. So Instagram is just one little part of what you have to do uh, in order to stay sort of visible and, and the rest of it. Um, how do we know each other, Al? Uh, I'm mates with your brother, Jim. That's right, yeah. And so, and so we met through him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I like to tell people that Jim and I met in an off-license because we did. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's true, but we were both working there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's a better story to say, yeah, we met in an off-license. Uh, so that's what I, that's what I sort of tell my other mates. You, you met uh, each other selling wine in a shop, basically, and probably yeah. drinking wine as well. I expect. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So Jim was the master of um, you know finding excuses to open a bottle of wine to you know give somebody a taster, <laughs> a customer. But no, 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 we don't. He's like, no, it's fine, it's fine. And by the end of it, we got three open bottles so obviously they're not going to get poured down the sink are they <laughs> i mean they're going to end up in the sink you know eventually in some form <laughs> but 
yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was good fun, actually. Like, actually, Jim was probably my favourite thing about working at Oddbin. Can I say the name of the off-license? Sure, I don't mind. At? Yeah, it's Oddbin. It was Oddbin's. Oddbin's in um, London. And then also, uh, he's got the probably the best record collection I've ever heard. And so, and he knows he's got a, a brilliant knowledge of, of music, uh, and he, he can just like explain everything really clearly and, and make it really interesting. Um, so yeah, that was good. We used to uh, we used to hang around it. Where where did he used to live? Ealing. In West London. Do you Ealing. remember Ealing? Yeah, that's it. We'd go around there and listen to loads of his record, and he'd just go on a tangent. It was brilliant. Just yeah. listening to one thing and then the next and the next, you know, like from, from just everything. Brilliant. Yeah. Really, really good times. But also he does really good poached eggs as well, actually. You can really <laughs> poach an egg properly. <laughs> so uh, in the morning, like I'd probably sleep on the couch or whatever after drinking a lot of the wine at Oddbins, God knows what else. And then um, like, you know, six cans of something out of a blue bag. Do you remember from the off license? <laughs> of course, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then in the morning he'd make, uh, he'd make poached eggs for us. Yeah. It's good. Very good. Very important skill, being able to poach a good egg. It is. It's harder than you think. You know, you've got to get it down. And as far as I remember as well, he didn't even mess about with like the vinegar or anything. He just, he could just poach it like really well. Mm, there you go. I, I still I, got, still can't do it as good as he used to. Or well, maybe it's just because if when you've got a beating hangover, if anyone presents you anything <laughs> on toast in the morning, <laughs> you're going to be happy with it, right? It's yeah. hardly like, yeah. It's not exactly rocket science. Yeah, probably they're probably very average eggs, but yeah, because you had such a hangover, exactly, they, they tasted so amazing. All right, so this is sort of like the mid-noughties, like 2005, 2006, that kind of time. And yeah. in those days, were you, you, were you just starting as a street artist at that time? No, I'd sort of, I'd sort of been doing it for a while, mm. you know, so I, I went to art college. Um, before that, I just, you know, I was just doing kind of, I guess, normal art. I hadn't really found the kind of thing that I was doing. I've always wanted to do art, you know, and I've always done it. And like, you know, even if I wasn't making a career out of it, you know, I'd still be doing it. Before I was making a career out of this, I was, I was doing it in my spare time. And I'm just very fortunate at the moment that I'm in a position whereby I can do it full time. Like the, the, the goal for me is to just keep spending as much time doing art as possible. And if I can get paid to do this and have more time to do it, not have to, um, you know, spend time doing anything else for money, you know, then great. Like this really is the goal for me is to just keep, keep doing art for as long as possible. But by the time I met Jim, I guess I've been, you know, been doing art on the street for like maybe f five years or so. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was already kind of, I, I guess I was sort of like, let's say established, like at that point, you know, yeah. I kind of knew what I was doing. I had, a, had a bit of a style and I, and, and I had ambition, you know, and I had, I had an idea of like where I wanted to go. There are artists that I really liked and, um, you know, I was really driven and influenced by them. Um, and you know, you don't need much money to live in those days. You know, I was living in a disgusting flat in Tooting uh, and, you know, and I was working for uh, doing bits and pieces for like a, a hip hop magazine in, in town and doing like freelance illustration jobs. And, um, and it was great. They're really, really good times. Really yeah. good times. How did you, how did you get started as a street artist then? I guess you went to art college, but when did you first start? I mean, another way, another word for it is graffiti, right? I mean, do you, do you use the term graffiti? No, not at all. So th th this is a really important thing to, to explain to your listeners. So yes. th there's a very, very big difference between graffiti and street art. 
graffiti is um, although it's although it's quite an anarchic thing, it's actually got a very very fiercely defined set of rules to it. You know, there's um, you know, there's a specific style, there's a specific way of painting. You know, there's a specific way of applying. You know, the work spray paint on a wall. Um, you know, specific ways of doing letters, different kind of styles within the graffiti, and um, graffiti writers are infinitely more hardcore than I will ever be. Um, and I was really interested in graffiti, but I wasn't a graffiti writer or artist at all. Like I did a bit of tagging when I was younger, but I can't paint letters. I'm not hardcore enough to spend time, you know, painting big, long, illegal pieces. And I'm too scared to, you know, climb on railway tracks or up the side of buildings or anything like that. So I, you know, I, I was absolutely none of those things. Um, but yet I still loved the, um, you know, I, I love the, the look of it. You know, I love the bashiness. I love the, the interruption. You know, I like seeing a wall, you know, a grey wall with a big piece in the middle of it. I, I loved getting the train into town and seeing all the all the burners along along the side of the railway track. You know, it was really exciting. Burners? Um, oh, pieces, you know, like, like you know, big, colourful, big, colourful graffiti pieces that have been done overnight, you know, People get on the tracks when they're not so busy and they spend time out there painting in the dark. It's, it's a really difficult and, you know, mega, I've got mega respect for those guys. But we, so we, there were like a few of us who kind of looked, were looking at graffiti and were, who were influenced by it within our own art, but we weren't graffiti artists. So what were we? You know, we, we didn't know. Like we were, you know, misfits. Mm. You know, we, and we started to put work on the street as well. So we were like, you know, drawing little characters with marker pens or we did paste ups, which was, um, you know, doing a character, making a poster out of it, taking it to Kinko's, you know, having it blown up to like double A zero or whatever, and then using wallpaper paste to stick it up somewhere, you know, like on the side of an old shop or, you know, on a bridge or whatever. So, so we would do that kind of stuff. Um, but the the term street art wasn't really even coined until um you know the kind of mid 2000s i think to sort of 2005 or so before that you know i always thought like a street artist was somebody you know that uh was painting the mona lisa on the on the on the pavement at covent garden do you know what i mean or yeah. or somebody dressed like a robot with a whistle in their mouth <laughs> like those were street artists or someone like drawing caricatures of tourists in covent yeah, garden yeah exactly that yeah. kind of thing so, so street art, you know, like suddenly this, this term was, was coined, you know, and, uh, um, me and my little crew from, from London, you know, we, we kind of found ourselves at the forefront of it, you know, it was really, really exciting time. Um, so, so, so what is the difference exactly then? Is it this sort of the, the, the illegality aspect or what? what it's is, a really, is, is, it's a, it's a, di- it's a difficult, it's a difficult one to kind of explain, um, I think it's more the artist than what they're doing, right? So you are you are either a graffiti artist or you're not. Do okay. you know what I mean? Like yeah. graffiti artists have got a completely different mentality. Um, you know, they've got bigger balls. You know, uh, and and they're you know, and and so I think it's in the it comes down to the artist as opposed to what they're doing. So there are graffiti artists that paint characters. Yeah, you know, like the same way that street artists do. 
they'll just do it in a more risky spot, you know, and and just and just go at it with a different mentality. It, you know, graffiti is a way of life. Yeah. It really, really is a way of life. There are some graffiti artists who are, um, you know, commercially very, very successful, and there are some that are just as good who who don't want to be. You know, like there are some for whom you know graffiti will just be a hobby and, and a way of life, but they never want to kind of profit off of it. And I really respect that too. You know, they might you know they might be working as an electrician, you know, but they're very, very hardcore and going out every night. And, you know, you'd never know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so yeah, you know, that that always uh, you know that always fascinated me too. You know, I love the kind of secret identity side of it too. It's really, really nice. Hence the 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 sort of the name that you came up with, uh, mysterious. Hence Hal. the name. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very mysterious though. That's the irony, right? <laughs> like here you are, just telling us everything about your work yeah. and stuff. There's not really much mystery there, but it's still a great name. It's still a really cool name. It's catchy as well as sort of. Um, you know, identifiable. Um, I was going to say, so when, it, as I, I'm an English teacher, right, English language teacher. And so a lot of the time I spend uh, my time in classrooms with course books, helping my students learn English, right? And uh, English language course books, I don't think I've got one to hand, but they always have like different chapters with different topics. And there are sort of speaking exercises and stuff. And it's really common to have a section in the book about quote unquote graffiti. It's always a discussion point. It's always a debating point in uh, TEFL classes like graffiti. Is it really? Yeah. It's just one of those, just loads of different, because they have to cover lots of different topics. They will, you know, choose things which are quite sort of, uh, I guess quite cool, you know, as, as, as much as possible, which will also appeal to everyone. And sort of graffiti or street art, especially these days, since uh, Banksy and stuff, because obviously Banksy's like so well-known, they will often have that kind of thing in there. And the debating point will be graffiti, good or bad, you know, something like that. Sure. I mean, I think it's just interesting though, isn't it? It's just interesting, yeah. graffiti. I think, I think a lot of people are fascinated by it. Yeah, exactly. You know, because graffiti, good or bad, well, I mean, it depends who you ask. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, you know, it's Banksy did something very, very uh, unique, right? And that was he started making graffiti or street art, whatever you want to call it. He start. I'm going to call it graffiti, right? He yeah. started making uh, graffiti uh, that was not for other graffiti artists. It was for the public, and that was a huge thing because um, prior to that. You know, especially within the, the graph communities, if somebody, you know, if somebody's putting up a piece somewhere, you know, they're not really interested in you seeing it. They want other graffiti artists to see it and go, wow, like he's got that, pl- right, you know, he's he's all up all ra- around this area or this is my area and now he's starting to come in here and I need to step my game up or like, how you know, how did he get up there? Like, yeah, and I'm I'm interested in that as well. Like I, you know, I'm you know I'm often just kind of looking around on the street, and I'll see a tag halfway up a building, and I'll go, "How's he?" And then I work it out. Oh, they trod on a bus stop, and then he went halfway up that drain pipe, and then stood on that ledge. Yeah, you know, it's just interesting to work out like how, you know, how how they actually apply it. You know, like yeah. how, you know the logistics of it, and so. 
I think it was really, um, I think that's, that was, uh, a, I mean, you know, Banks is a genius in many ways, but I think, uh, the, the initial part of his success was exactly that. He started making work that people could really easily connect with, right? A work that's really easy to kind of get. You can, you, you can almost like, you can almost get the punchline, right? And that makes you feel good because yeah. you've understood it. You know, yeah. and and th- and it's funny, and you get and you get the joke, and and then you and then you can you can associate with the piece. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you look at the image, and you instantly you can kind of understand it. It's almost like a little visual joke, for example. Exactly. You know, I remember when I was living in London, he did all those rats. So there'd be yeah. like little sort of uh, stenciled uh, graffitis of rats in different locations, and the joke was, oh yeah, London's like full of rats. And so here are yeah, the rats. Yeah, what did he say? You're never, you're never far from a rat. In London, you're never more than a few feet away from a rat. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really good. And then so he's, he's used, the, used that idea that we all know, all Londoners all know that. Yeah, you're never more than whatever it is, five metres away from a rat. And so he started using, them, using the rats as characters in his work, and they would appear down quite low um, next to the pavement on a wall and it's like the rats doing something like they're stealing something or something like that. There's like a little little joke. And the other famous one, and there's so many of them, but another famous one was that, that he would he painted a white line along the ground and you, it was like uh, he'd trailed a paintbrush and dripped white paint all along the ground in a big line and you're kind of like, oh, hello, what's this? And you follow the line and if you keep going, eventually you get to a stenciled piece of art of a policeman leaning down doing a line of cocaine and the white line that you've just followed is this line of cocaine that the policeman is, is taking. So it's kind of like a, you know, a comment or a joke about the police and about crime and drugs in London and stuff. But still, it's kind of a quite a funny little punchline, as you said. And the punchline for that, you know, is, is only the half of it. The other part is, you know, somebody's had fun following this line, you know, and they'll tell their friends about it because they'll think, oh, like, you know, wh- why would you follow a line? But, but you know, he, you know, you would, you know, like somebody would see it and just think, oh, I wonder what happens if I follow that, you know, and then they'd find this piece and it'd be like a secret and then they'd want to tell other people about it. And also like the logistics of doing that, you know, when you, when you actually think about it, I mean, what was he carrying a paint tin with a hole in the bottom of it? Like what time did he do it at night? How did he stop people from, you know, walk like a street cleaner from going, you know, like yeah. there's all these kind of things. It's a simple idea but it's so beautifully executed um that's the same with all with all his works you know like it's it's so simple uh that you know you almost think oh anyone could do it or i could do it but the point is nobody has yeah and he does it better than anyone else yeah so going back to the original thing which was basically the discussion point in my english language class course book is basically do you think graffiti is good or bad that's really really basic and stupid question in a way but what about the kind of criminal criminality of it you know do you think that it's is it a crime uh well i mean lots of things are crimes that are just a bit ridiculous so do you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean yeah it is a crime but i mean it's quite ridiculous and and quite quite silly and uh, you know I, I don't know again you know you can't really it's not a one-size-fits-all thing is it no you know that you know but my opinion you know I, I love graffiti you know I'm like a big fan of it and I understand how it works with you know it starts with a tag you know and then that might turn into like a bigger piece and then that turns finally into like a full production and 
I'm like savvy to that and I, I understand it, but I can understand why a lot of people don't. Um, yeah. You know, I know people, maybe like my parents' generation who would come to a city like Paris where I live and they'll see some graffiti on the wall and they think that it's really ruining the area or something. In my opinion, there are kind of good pieces and bad pieces. And uh, and when you get really good graffiti, it's just brilliant and it looks amazing. And obviously, in some cases, it is a kind of vandalism when it's just like someone spraying a tag on a door or something like that. Uh, but then, you know, a good piece in the in a good location really brings a lot to the area. Uh, I, I of course, I, I understand that. But then at the same time, you got to you got to remember, like, you can't have good without evil. You know, there's you know, you've got to have beauty and the beast. And, and and you can't tame the beast, you know, and like and so and so it's not it's never a case of um, oh let's just keep all the nice pieces, and get rid of all the tags because they're both just as important as each other, you know. Um, they fuel each other, uh, and so you know you you got to you got to have both. You got to have both. You know, there's you know I I I I don't like pop music, but I don't think we should get rid of it. Yeah, you know, like, shouldn't get rid of all music. It, just because yeah. you don't like pop music, or shouldn't 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 get rid of any music, yeah. you know, like you know, just just because I don't like it doesn't, you know, I I could say that you know that going to a supermarket and hearing whatever's in the top ten, that's more offensive than seeing someone drawing a cock on a wall, right? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you know, it, it's not up to me, and 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 you've just got to, do you know, what I'm trying to say, I'm making a point in there somewhere. I do. Um, uh, another thing, and going back to Banksy again, you're going to have to explain quite a lot to your listeners. Sorry about this. I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I'm just hoping that they can hold on, and that the 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 uh, the fact that graffiti or street art is a compelling subject, hopefully, is going to kind of keep them motivated to get through the things that uh, we're not being very clear about. But it's always the way. Al. It's always the way. So I was just going to make one other point about. Um, about this, a sort of maybe a final point, and it's in Banksy's book. He kind of makes a slightly political point uh, about all of this, and that is the idea of who gets to decide what is put into public spaces. And when you're walking down the street, there are so many pictures or visuals around the place which have been put there, and that they, they were put there without our permission. Um, in public spaces, and these are sort of business-oriented things. I'm talking about advertising billboards and posters, which are everywhere in the city. Now we don't get to decide um, the th- you know those things that are put up, and yet they are there to capture our t- our attention. A bit like Instagram, you know, they sort of manipulate our feelings and stuff like that. So you you're constantly being bombarded by advertising and other sorts of images that have been put up there by you know companies and stuff like that. And then, you know, I find sometimes those things a lot more problematic and offensive than street art or graffiti. Obviously, it's there, you know, money's being made, it's all part of the economy and stuff. But I think that in, when I think of it that way, I feel like graffiti is a lot better because at least it's someone expressing some sense of art or artistry rather than my attention just being stolen by um, a company that's advertising their products to me. Do you know what I mean? I completely agree. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. It's the truth, and especially you know the the kind of the kind of ads that you're seeing. You know, there was a point where I was seeing Kim Kardashian's face more than I was seeing my own. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like just everywhere. I don't want to see that at all. 
Yeah. So um, he's, he makes a very good point, and I agree. Mm-hmm. I would say so. So what do you do these days then? If people are watching the video rather than just listening, they can see some of your work behind you in your studio. Can you tell us about yeah. the, the work that you do these days and maybe how you've, how you've got to this point and also how you actually make these pieces? Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure I can do that. So, so my work, uh, you know, you can see some of these pieces behind me, right? It, it's, it's all based on, on um, tribal masks, you know. What I actually do, let me just take these headphones off. I'm going to grab sure. something to show you. Okay. But it's just here. See this guy? This is one of my collages. And all my work starts with a collage. I've got hundreds of these. Check this out. In this box, there are loads. You know, there's this guy, these guys here. These are like my sketches. Um, I think I mentioned before, like uh, when I was younger, I worked as a, as an illustrator, you know, doing kind of comic book style illustrations. And um, the holy grail of comic book illustration is to get uh, as much charisma and character into your work in kind of almost the simplest amount of moves. So you lived in Japan, so you know that the Japanese are the they're the best at this, right? Mm. Like they, you know, there will be. In one panel, there's a big screaming mouth, and in the second one, it's just a dot. And yet, somehow, it works absolutely perfectly, right? This kind of super deformed style. So, uh, you know, I was at a point where I was just kind of quite lost within my work, um, you know, for a long time. And then, um, you know, I needed a kind of change in direction. I was doing this illustration work, and it was, you know, I was getting a bit tired of it, and I could never translate it well into gallery stuff, you know. It, I worked on the computer, so then try to turn that into paintings. It just never really worked. And then one day I had an epiphany. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And it was, um, I was at a museum and I saw a West African mask, tribal mask. It was like thousands of years old and it was so crudely made. And yet it was beautiful, like absolutely brilliant. It had so much charisma and energy. And I thought, right, I'm just going to strip my work back. I'm going to stop using a pen. I'm going to stop doing outlines altogether and just start making, um, you know, collages. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They, and just by tearing up paper, 
you just really lose control of the work, you know. Um, so these pieces are made essentially from pieces of uh, torn up paper. Yeah, right. these are just torn up paper. And the, and the reason why I tear up paper instead of using scissors is because there's more happy accidents. It's a very spontaneous process. It's really nice because, you know, I can spend a lot of time on a painting, you know, painting really tight corners. And then I can just go over to the other side of the room and tear a load of paper up and move it all around. And what happens is I get all these shapes and just keep moving them and moving them and tearing bits off and adding bits. And then eventually a face appears you know, it presents itself. And then when it does, I just, uh, I quickly take a photo of it so I can remember where it all goes. And then I paint the pieces and put them back together. So, you know, this is what we end up with. And so then you, from here... I was going to say, so you, you, uh, you start with the, the paper that you've torn up into little pieces. It's all white. Yeah, it's just white. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't get the, I can't get the colours of paper that I want, so I have to paint them all. <laughs> right, so there is kind of um, what's the word for it? A kind of craft involved. I mean, this is you know one of the aspects of art. It's not just like the result of it, uh, but it's like the way it's done. And so there's like the the craft is that yeah, you using a certain type of paper, ripping it up in a random fashion almost, and then you know what? Yeah, I actually have to use a a very expensive uh, French watercolor paper. Oh yeah, because um, a French printmaking paper because it tears better than anything else. And also, you need a paper with a, you know, with a really high thread count, so that when I um, when I paint it, it doesn't buckle. You buckle? know, so with these guys, for example, yeah, it doesn't wrinkle. You know, like yeah. it stays nice and flat. Yeah. So with these, you know, you can see like it's just, it's really beautiful. Like yeah, and actually, the little details in it are like real nice. Yeah, the way know? it rips is very sort of satisfying. The way it rips is great. Um, you know, and so I don't know. By losing, by doing this, it was just a much more spontaneous, like high energy way of working. And so, uh, and these are like my sketches. You know, I like I keep them all in a box and I sell them at shows. But really, they're just they're just for me to. Uh, they're like studies before I do a painting. You know, mm -hmm. and then when one resonates with, with me, when one really talks to me, then I I take a photo of it. I put it into Photoshop recolor it move it all around a bit more and then when it's ready it, it's i turn it into a painting so, so it's a really nice process how do you go sorry how do you go from photoshop to a painting then so once i'm in photoshop i f i get the final size image that i want and then i project it onto the canvas and then i paint it wait you project it like with a like a, with a kind of with like a, a movie with a projector. projector yeah i've got yeah i've got like a i've got like a just a digital projector you know and I just do that. And then, so I project it, trace around all the edges, you know, and then I, and then I actually, what I do is I put the um, image on my phone as well. So then I've got my outlines already on the canvas. Yeah. And there are loads of other ways of doing it. You can grid it or scale it up that way, or you can do like a, you know, when, I, when I'm painting big murals, obviously I can't project. So mm. I'll do a grid or I'll do a thing called a scribble grid, which is a, a different way of scaling an image up. But in the studio, it's just a better result to, to um, and it's quicker and easier to just project it because I can control the lighting in here. Like, uh, you know, it's nice to project it, do all the tracing, and then I can just look at my phone and I know what colors go where. And then after that, it's a, it, it's a much more enjoyable process because I get to spend more time doing the bit that I enjoy, which is the actual craft of the painting. 
and less of the stuff that I don't enjoy, which is scaling it up and rubbing it out and scaling it and redoing a bit and moving an eye a thousand times because it just you know it just gets boring doing it that way. Mm. And I I want the work to always stay fun. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, projecting really works for me. Right. So let me just try and go through that process again. So you start with a white uh, paper, which you rip up into different uh, shapes. You then lay it down on top of itself and move things around and rip things a little bit more until a face emerges. And then once you've got that, you take a photo of that so you remember the arrangement. And then you paint exactly. all the bits of paper that you've ripped up yep. and you rearrange them um, but mm-hmm. paint, with the painted version. So that's where all the colour comes in. And then you take another photograph of that Right. Yep. And then you will, with the photograph, you can you can put it into Photoshop and sort of rearrange it and fix it a little bit. And then you project that onto a larger uh, piece of paper uh, on the wall. A canvas. A canvas, canvas. actual canvas. Yeah. And then you paint, mm-hmm. you kind of uh, just sketch the, the outlines of it and then you paint it again on the canvas. Um, and yes. then you can either present those canvases or you can sell them to people and, and stuff. Exactly right. right. That's exactly it, in a nutshell. But also sometimes you're you're dealing with much, much bigger pieces. Like when it's outdoors, it's like the side of a building or something like that. And in that case, you have these other methods of scaling the image so that you take the image that's small on your phone and make it the size of the side of the building, which is, again, Mm -hmm. another sort of technical aspect that must be really complicated and difficult, like making it from a small image to a large image, but keeping the proportions and putting it on the side of a building. The good thing is that my, my work's quite forgiving, right? So if I, do, if I do make a bit of a mess up, quite often nobody will notice. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I can just, I can just change it and it's, it's okay. Like, uh, you know, there are some friends of mine who are hyper-realistic portraiture painters, you know, and if... If you get the eyes just too far, just a little bit too far apart on a portrait of a girl, then you know it, it can go south very, very quickly indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with my stuff, what I do is um, I generally take a really, really high quality photo of the wall that I'm going to paint, um, and then I will use Photoshop to layer my artwork over that image. Right, so I've almost done a kind of mock-up, and then from there, I then change the opacity of the the layer with my artwork on and I pull it back to around 50% so I can still see the wall behind the artwork and then I can use what's already on the wall like any marks that are already there or even counting bricks or you know uh, like signs or windows I can use all those as reference points for when I'm sketching the wall up does that make sense Uh... so I so I could say for example like I've got a photo I've got a picture of a wall you know and it's got a drain, let's say it's got a drain pipe in the middle of it and a window and, yeah. and it's made of bricks, right? I lay my artwork over the top of it in Photoshop. So wait, you've taken a picture of the wall where you're going to... Taken be, a photo of the wall. Right, and you t- put that photo into Photoshop. Yep. Okay. And then I layer my artwork, I layer the thing that I'm going to paint over the top of it. So I've already done the image that I'm going to paint. Yeah. And I put that in as a new layer. And then I, I turn the opacity down so it's about 50%. So it's 50% see-through yeah and then from there i can then look at it and go okay the eye sort of goes halfway towards the drain pipe so i make a little mark up there on the wall and then i go and the eye is how many bricks thick one two three four five six seven eight nine ten right the eye is ten bricks thick so from there i do another line 
go 10 bricks down, do another line there. And then I just sketch it up that way. You just, I, I start with the eye and then I just build my way out. And I go, okay, well, this bit's easy because there's a big blue section that's from that door, like in a kind of diagonal line down to that drain, yeah. you know, and, they, yeah. and, I, and I just do it that way. Wow. So, um, so yeah, it's, it is easier than I've made it sound. <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, I, I, I see you've like got a technique for doing it that, yeah, you, you say it's easy, but it's just like working out the, the craft of, of how it's, it's done. It's, it's impressive. just practice. Yeah. But, but my, but my stuff's a lot easier to do than, you know, people that are doing like, you know, complicated. I mean, if you've got to paint a portrait of someone, I mean, I, that'd just be my worst nightmare because, you know, people already know what that person's supposed to look like you know and if you get it wrong then it's obvious that you've done a bad job but whereas with mine you know i could you know my work's very forgiving and and you know it could always be amended and 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 really it's about the overall impact of what i do you know it's about the fact that it's big and bright and fun as opposed to people um you know i do generally finesse over the details like i spend a lot of time um doing what i do but if there is a mistake, it's going to be less likely for people to, to spot it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to the example of uh, like a, a mural, if that's the right word, uh, a picture on a wall, like a large, a huge wall, that's the, uh, a picture that's, that takes up the whole wall. I guess that's a mural, right? Uh, going mm-hmm. back to the example of um, other types of murals that where they have to be much more careful over the details. There was one put up in Liverpool recently uh, in a street outside the centre, and it's a big image of Ringo on mm. the side of a building. And that's the sort of thing where they'd have to get it just right, because if they don't get it right, yeah. Ringo's going to look all wrong. You know. Yeah. Did you see that one on Twitter of uh, of someone who painted a, a, port, a mural of the Queen? <laughs> yeah, I did and see it, that. And the eyes were too close together, <laughs> and it just looks so bad. And like, I, I feel so. I feel for those guys because there is just no denying that it looks bad. Yeah. You know, and it, it's and 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 that is not a, you know, that's not, it's not being mean. You know, it's like I really respect the fact that they've given it a go, and I, but the eyes are too close together <laughs> you know and yeah it's just it would just be so hard just that little detail of the uh, a portrait of the queen and her eyes are just too close together it takes on a completely different meaning it becomes completely. almost like a terrible joke or almost absolutely an insult or something it really does yeah it's hard it's 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 really tough um you know it's really tough to to get that exactly right which is why um you know, I, I wanted to, it was deliberate for me to find a style that would be the same on the street as, as it is in the gallery. You know, like I wanted something that I could replicate both into both. And also something that um, I could also apply to stuff commercially, you know, so I can, um, I can take various assets and I could put them on t-shirts or, you know, or like the side of a van or like for brand, I, you know, I can do anything with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was kind of, developing my style i was very aware of that and i wanted to make absolutely sure that because previously i was doing one thing on the street and something else for my commercial stuff and my gallery stuff was kind of somewhere in between and it it was a big disconnect and, and it's not very confident to have so many different approaches i feel i think it's better to just move confidently with one mm. um and so and so it was very important to get that that style right so that it's instantly recognizable as me and hopefully, you know, I'm getting to the point where, if, you know, when people see the kind of polo 
I shape, you know, which I use in all my work. It's it's mine, you know. That's that's kind of become my shape now, you know. And um, it, it, it's something that's that hopefully people associate with my work. Yeah, 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 definitely. Who actually consumes your work then? I mean, if you could just sort of like we've talked about how you make it and all that, the the process and you know some of your inspirations and so on. Who's actually taking the art and consuming it, and how are they doing it? Well, it, it, it depends how you mean by consume it. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to have um, a decent collection of buyers. Um, you know, my work's affordable, uh, so you know I, I'm careful with my price points, and I make sure that um, you know if somebody wants something by me, you know they can probably get it. Like be it a pin badge for a fiver, all the way up to like a painting for like six or seven thousand dollars. So. I really try and, and have, you know, different entry points to my work. Um, and then, you know, it's another reason why I really love working with brands because, uh, you know, I can, I just did a bunch of t-shirts and apparel with Tommy Hilfiger. I've done stuff for Adidas, you know, Carhartt and all these guys. And that's a really, really good way for people to, um, you know, to get into my work as well, uh, which is really nice. You know, perhaps if you can't afford 200 bucks for a screen print, you might be able to afford 50 for a tea. So it's really nice to have my work accessible to so many people. Um, and then more recently with the kind of exhibitions that I've been doing, I've been trying to um, get in front of people who don't think they're into art yet. You know, I've kind of already cornered like uh, the market of people that are already aware of my work. You know, they're, they're good now. Like I've sort of, I've got them interested so now it's time to actually uh, get other people involved, like normal people, you know. And what I've been doing is um, I've been doing really, really big exhibitions where I do really fun, interesting things. And um, and that gets uh, good publicity. And, um, and if you get in decent press, uh, then you get loads of people coming to your shows. And um, then those people join your mailing list or follow you on Instagram. And, you know, talking about Instagram again, unfortunately. But um, so, so, you know, I'm, uh, the, the answer to your question is, I mean, hopefully a bit of everybody does really. You know, it's, um, it's deliberately a very accessible style. It's quite sort of easy to like, you know, because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. bright and colourful and, and fun. And the, when we were talking about Banksy earlier and I said about how he does stuff that, uh, people get a punchline, you know, and then they feel good because they've engaged with the work and, you know, they feel connected to it. I do the same sort of thing with my stuff. It's like uh, with my collages, everybody thinks they can see something different in it. You know, like somebody might think it looks like a dog or a fish or, you know, I had somebody come to my show and she bought a collage. She thought it looked like her boyfriend. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, that, you know, that, that's great. You know, I, I you know, I, when I'm, making them i deliberately try not to think of like a parrot you know because i'll end up doing collage that looks like one and sometimes when i need color ideas i will look at tropical fish right because they're amazing colors Mm. but then i can't i don't want to make a collage that deliberately looks like a fish does that make sense to you like i need to so when you're when you're making uh one of your pieces you're not sort of trying to get to a specific you don't have a specific image and you're then trying to make it instead you're just like as you said before you're just kind of like moving the things around until something emerges they almost sort of make themselves yeah and, and and actually um the only thing that's really influenced it is the piece that i did before it you know, because, I, I, you know, there, there are patterns in it, 
I might rip a nose shape that looks really good or like, you know, I might, I might turn a bit upside down and it works and then I'll go, all right, cool. I'll do that again on the next one. And then I do it next, but it gets a little wonkier and then the next one looks even wonkier. And then after that I go, okay, well let's try something different this time. So, you know, sometimes I can, I can be working on like four or five of these at the same time. And also sometimes, um, I might see one on the wall that's got a bit that would look better on another one. I just rip its face off and stick it on another one. You know, like <laughs> I, I treat them really badly. You know, like they're, they're just stapled up on the wall and they're like on the floor. And even with the last show, um, right at the last minute, some of them didn't fit in the frame. So I just ripped their ears off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, so like it, it's quite funny when you see them then beautifully framed hanging on a wall with, you know, hundreds of people looking at them. And I just think a week ago that was like on the floor in my studio. Do you know what I mean? I was sweeping up around it, and it's, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's all yeah. about context. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And you and you mentioned NFTs before, which is sort of a fairly new thing, quite a sort of trendy thing. So you do NFTs. What are NFTs? Oh mate, oh, this is this. Is a, we need a different podcast for this one, Luke. It's a bit of a tricky one to. It's a tricky one to explain. I think. The simplest way to put it is that you can make artwork now or indeed um, anything digital, mm-hmm. but then you can prove ownership of that digital asset by putting a kind of receipt, if you like, on the blockchain. Blockchain? The blockchain, the blockchain <laughs> is, um, is a ledger. Do you know what a ledger is? A blockchain is a, the blockchain is a database, right? Okay. Imagine you've got a database and you've got, columns right what columns are that rows are the one on top of the other right columns are the ones that go vertically and rows yeah. are the ones that go horizontally so on your blockchain which is even just it's basically some information that's attached to in this case a, uh, an image but uh yes. blockchains also are in in cryptocurrencies as well right and yes. uh, so when you uh, a piece of cryptocurrency has a blockchain on it as well. It's kind of like a a, a a note which is attached to it digitally and it contains information or data associated with that, I don't know, piece of cryptocurrency or in this case, uh, a piece of artwork, an NFT, non-fungible token. That's absolutely right. And so, so the artwork has a blockchain attached to it, which has got these columns, and the columns contain different types of information. You were saying, in a nutshell, you're sort of you're sort of almost there. But an important thing to consider, right, and that is that the blockchain you can only add on top of it. You can't edit a, bl- a, a previous block, right? So it's a decentralized ledger, all right. So um, you can add information onto the block above, but you can't change any of the blocks below. So this is really, really interesting when it comes to uh, creating like a, you know, a list of previous owners of something, for example, right? You could, um, you could use this to authenticate or provide provenance for a piece of digital art. So I could say, for example, um, I could send you an animation and you buy it off me and you love it and you put it on your computer or you put it on your TV and watch it, you have it on your phone. But how do I know? You could copy it and send it to anyone you want, right? And that, But they would just be copies. You would have your, your uh, wallet ID, which is essentially your name. You would have that on the blockchain to say that you own that piece and it would have a record of how much you paid for it and when. 
So anyone could access that information. They could say, who owns this digital asset? They could look it up and they could say, Luke does, because there's his wallet ID on the blockchain. It's kind of like a digital stamp. It is. But then, but then if you then sold that to somebody else, that transaction would just happen in a block above it. So I'd still be, I'd be able to see, okay, so Luke sold it to Jim after that, you know, and, and actually the price went up. And then if Jim sells it, the same thing happens. And I could look into the whole history of this piece. So this has been a massive thing for digital artists because previously it's just been a bit of a murky world, like how you actually buy digital art, how you display it. Like that's still sort of that we still haven't quite figured that out yet. I don't think. Um, as soon as augmented reality kicks off, that's going to change everything. But again, this is a completely different podcast. Um, I just think that this is this is the first step, you know, is to is to use the blockchain to prove ownership of something, mm. right? So you can have a piece of art, only this time it doesn't physically exist, but you can still prove that you own it. And you can still sell it and trade it, and hopefully the value will go up and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But art's only the beginning. You know, you, you can do really clever things like, um, you know, put tickets you know event tickets or concert tickets they can go on the blockchain and you can prove that they're legit really 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 easily and you know eventually you could hopefully have a property on the blockchain so that if you're going to buy a house you could look into the whole history of that project uh, sorry you could look into the whole history of it how much it sold for when it got restumped all this kind of information could just be on the blockchain um, so that you don't have to trust some shady estate agent do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that, um, and, and also all this information is decentralized, which means that, uh, which means that nobody has complete control over it. Mm. It means that, um, you know, nobody can go, oh, I'm just going to edit these last blocks or I'm going to delete this. Like, nobody can actually do that. The thing about the uh, property, which, so just to kind of expand on that, at the moment, when someone buys an apartment, uh, that apartment, apartment is the ownership is registered through a deed which is a yes. you know like a, a kind of a contract which proves that you are the owner of that property now that deed is literally a piece of paper and that piece of paper is kept in a file in a building right now if this is the uk it's kept in the land registry which is a you know, a big building where they keep files that record all of the properties and who owns them and all the deeds are actually kept there in that place in a physical place there's a person who's got the key to the building someone's job to look after them someone has to actually get it out and stuff like that you have to write a letter or an email to request a copy of it or whatever uh people can do searches on them and, and stuff like that um so that's a physical place sort of managed by a, a human being and you have to go through that person but so that's centralized that's what you mean by centralized it's all based around that exactly. specific location and that specific person and so on decentralized in the digital world essentially that data is is just sort of un, it's just available anywhere you know kind mm. of thing uh, but it's still sound it's still safe because it's part of the blockchain which is a digital attachment to the asset whatever it is in in your case it's a a, a piece of art and that um 
that cannot be disconnected from it. The, the, the file, the digital file, has this blockchain attached to it. That's why I said it's like a stamp. And so um, that data is always attached to that file, which is a way of securing um, uh, purchases and um, making everything just as legally sound, but easier. That's pretty correct. I, I think the big thing, though, about decentralization is, as opposed to a centralized system like the land registry office, one day the land re registry office could, could just say, right, we're going to shut the doors today, but sod it, we've had enough. Uh, none of you can have your files. Can I make a change to that? No. Like, yeah. you know, you could, you could, you know, you could get rugged, right? Yeah, you could get rugged by the government if if some dodgy government comes in for whatever reason and they say, right, we own all the property now. Yep. And we've got. And you say why, and they go, oh well, we've changed all the deeds, so therefore we do. You know, I mean that yeah. probably never happened, but but what I'm saying is somebody is in charge for that, right? Somebody has, uh, you know, they have the ability to restrict access to those files or indeed manipulate them. Um, or anything like that. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if something's decentralized, then nobody has the ability to do that because it's spread out across everybody as opposed to, um, you know, it's spread out across everybody who, who's running the blockchain as opposed to, um, you know, just one company that are holding, holding all the keys. We could go further into this, but this is another episode for another time. <laughs> let, let, please, let's not. Please, let's not. I'm starting to do my own. I'm starting to do my head in. But it's not, cool. I didn't want to talk about this today. No, no, no. It's it's very complicated. It is, and I'm, I, I've I've had conversations about NFTs before, and I've never quite kind of satisfyingly understood it. But I think that's probably enough. But basically, it's yeah. good for you as an artist because it's just another way in which you can sort of um, sell your work. Uh, it doesn't yeah. have to be physical uh, canvases anymore. It can be yeah. uh, digital files, and yet it's still a sort of secure, legit way of, of selling your, your work and, and making sure there is one original file rather than everyone just copying it um, with yeah. a couple of clicks of uh, their mouse. Uh, and, you know, there are also lots of really exciting things that you, you know, that you can do with NFTs and, and blockchain technology. And, um, and I've had some really good ideas in the space, which I'm going to hopefully do over the next year or so. And for me, it, it's just another application to my work. You know, like I, I'm not an NFT artist. I'm, I'm an artist who uses all different methods for making art. You know, it's, it could be a ghost train or it could be a painting or it could be like a collage or it could be an animation, you know? Yeah. So yeah. NFTs, d digital art are just one small, small part of what I do. You mentioned your ghost train. Let's just maybe finish this yeah. the last thing. Just tell us about the ghost train. So first of all, what is a ghost train? Well, this is this is a good question because obviously we're English, right? So we know what it is. But I, I didn't realize before I moved away from England that it's not really part of everybody's fabric the same way that it is ours. A ghost train is a fairground dark ride. What this generally is, is uh, something that is it's part of a traveling fairground. So it'll be on the back of a kind of articulated lorry or something. And it, it unfolds in a kind of clever way to make a, um, a kind of a little ride where you sit in a car and you go around a kind of twisting, you know, maze in the dark 
in a car train and tracks. a plastic bat will light up. Yeah, along train tracks, you're in a little cart. And like, a, you know, various things will pop up and sound effects will go off to kind of try and scare you. But, you know, for us, like, they're a bit of a national treasure, aren't they? Like, we love them. Yeah. And like, uh, there's this beautiful kitschness to them, you know, where you know you're not really going to be scared. But there is still a real, like, beautiful, like, nostalgic kind of fear of the unexpected. You know, there's like, there's that, always that moment where you've just given some carny two quid and gives you a little shove and the car goes around the corner and you're in the dark and you're just thinking what is going to happen and then all of a sudden like a a freddy krueger mask lights up you know (laughs) and a klaxon goes off you know so um you know i love i love ghost trains as much you know like it's it's um big part of what i used to love as a kid um and uh you know I, I just always thought it'd be an interesting way to try and do an art exhibition, you know. And so I got hold of a ghost train last year and um, and I installed it in a giant warehouse in Melbourne and I repainted the whole ghost train and I took all the bits out and I remade all the kind of props and scares that went inside it. Yeah. So um, during lockdown, I taught myself about uh, amateur animatronics. Wow. And I followed loads of animatronics guys on YouTube and I made... Um, animated monsters with their mouths opening and you know i made them out of windscreen wiper motors and gears yeah. and um and I, I made all the sound effects myself in garage band and i rigged up speakers to them and had them so they were motion activated so wow when the train goes over a little a little um trigger a little pr- proximity sensor it triggers off the prop and the mouth opens and closes and it goes oh, 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 you know yeah, yeah. made everything out of paper mache so i kept it as as um traditional as i could uh, and i also put uh, everything was obviously done in my art style and um and I also put some real paintings inside the ghost train as well, which were some of them, you know, some of my paintings take me like a week to paint. Um, you know, although they look really simple, they're actually, you know, they're actually very, very carefully painted. Uh, and yet I put them in a ghost train where you whiz past them and, I, you know, they only light up for two seconds, which was probably not the best use of my time, to be honest <laughs> with you. But uh, I did it nonetheless. Um and, and yeah, we, uh, I did it as a, I did it as an art show. So, um, I had lots of help from, from my kind of team around me. And, um, we, you know, we had the ghost train was like the main attraction. And then after that, there was like a more traditional show with paintings and, yeah. you know, paperworks and, and bits and pieces. But it was, it was really, really fun doing the ghost train project, you know, and, um, and I think that when you asked me earlier about kind of who, who my sort of audience is, well, this is a great way to get new people seeing my work. You know, a lot of the people that came to that show had never been to an art exhibition before. You know, yeah. they thought an art exhibition has to happen in an art gallery. And, you know, they think it has to have the kind of pretentious air to it that a lot of art galleries do. And I'm really trying to change that with the way that I do my shows. You know, and loads of kids came to the show and they loved it. And, you know, I think, one kid went around it 20 times, you know, which just proved exactly how unscary it was. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's great to, you know, present work in a different way and people see that and then they go into the rest of the show and they're like, oh, okay. Oh, that painting, it's kind of got the same face as that thing that lit up. in the." It. And so it was 
really nice for people to make that connection as well, you know? Yeah, I don't think anyone's um, ever uh, used a ghost train to exhibit their art before. I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure this is a world first because I, like, I, I don't know if that's an official thing, but I'm just going to say that it is because I, I Googled it like extensively, you know, it's, and I know why. It was so difficult. So absolutely difficult, logistical nightmare. Um, yeah. Even finding a building big enough to fit the bloody thing in. Do you know what I mean? Like they needed a four, four and a half meter high roller door just to get it in. And it's six meters high. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was really, really difficult. I don't recommend it to anyone. And, and, and <laughs> I it, did it so no one else has to. It was all run from just the electricity supply, was it? Yeah, it uses three-phase electricity, yeah. But it's actually just 12 volt DC, so it's, it's not very powerful. It just needs a three-phase um, circuit to roll off of. Okay, all right. Still don't touch the rail, though, because you'll know about it. <laughs> In fact, I, I got shocked from it because there was a ladder touching the rail yeah. and the power was on and I didn't know and I touched the ladder and, yeah, it felt like uh, someone had hit me with a bat. <laughs> really? You didn't, you didn't leap into the air? But, yeah, just, I like just whack. Sort of, it just happened really quick, yeah. Yeah, okay. So don't do that. Yeah, don't. Watch out, folks be careful um okay uh brilliant well thanks so much where where do people this is what i usually say at the end where do people find out about your stuff and the rest of it um what should obviously your instagram uh there we go sadly, again sadly instagram's the best place yeah you know like uh it's just instagram just search for mysterious al that's uh mysterious al as in al a l not owl uh, which is what a lot of people think that I'm often saying. Really, and then yeah. also um, uh, just uh, mysterious.al is my website. Uh, so www.mysterious.al will take you there. Uh, and there's loads of examples uh, of my work there and some really nice videos as well that we've made about um, the Spook House if people want to see more stuff about my ghost train um, and some other projects that are pretty cool. So, yeah, if I could get a, a little shout-out and a plug, that'd be awesome. Yeah, 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 definitely. There you go. Mysterious.al, uh, Mysterious Al on Instagram. That's not Mysterious Owl. He's not like a bird that comes out at night. Uh, although that's yeah, I not... think it's my accent. A lot of people think that I say Mysterious Owl, but that would be a good good name too, wouldn't it? Because you're, no. you're from London originally, right? Which part of London are you yeah, from? Yeah, Twickenham. Twickenham, so West London, yeah. basically. West yes. London. You've just got a, Lon a London accent, so... Al can sound like a bit like owl because um, the L L sounds L sounds can sound a bit like W sounds uh, with a London accent. Yeah, because accent. we don't say L's, do we? We just it's just you finish like that. Well, you, you say an L at the beginning of a word, but not at the end of it. Yeah, or, so it's owl. Yeah, so in received pronunciation, it's owl or owl. Yeah, but with a London accent, owl. it's like owl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right i don't even know if i can say it the other way uh mysterious al i can't don't i don't know if i can even do it it's weird so every time you say oh what's you know what you call oh, it's mysterious owl they're like in their brains they're like what like an owl like Ooh, a like hoot, hoot hoot like an owl no 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 mysterious owl al Oh, I know. Right. I really didn't think this one through, did I? I should. I should probably have a name that I can at least pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like my podcast. I, I live in France, and whenever I talk, tell people the name of my well, yeah, whenever I tell people the name of my podcast in France, Luke's English Podcast, a lot of people think it's Luke's English Podcast. That's L U X E, right? Oh, L U X E. They think it's Luke's, meaning luxury. So, yeah. Right. 
so I'm sure that like a lot of French people who I tell, you know, when I tell them about their my podcast, they're like thinking, what, luxury English podcast? It's like Chanel and uh, Yves Saint Laurent and all this sort of thing. God, like, they no, must no, be no. so disappointed, Luke, when, yeah. they, when they go to check it out and they see you <laughs> sat there in a black sweatshirt. You know, they're like, but what is this? <laughs> I see no luxury. We were expecting only the finest podcasts, <laughs> expecting everything to be made of gold, but no, sorry, no well, gold and diamonds or champagne. Hopefully, yeah. now that you've got your little colour-changing light, you can add, add add a bit of a lux. Like, see, I thought I would pronounce that lux, L-U-X-E. Yeah, but in French, it's Lux. Lux. And so that's exactly. See, I think they would have spelt your name wrong. They would have probably spelt Luke's L-U-C because isn't that the French way of spelling Luke? Yeah. So whenever I go to a like a whatever coffee shop here in Paris and they say, "What's your name?" and I say, "Luke," uh, uh, then yeah, they always spell it L-U-C. But generally, uh, my podcast listeners spell my name wrong, and they spell they can't spell podcast either. T- um, English they're normally okay with, but I mean I get lots of stuff from in comments and stuff, even under episodes where it clearly states the name of the show. They're still writing my name as Luck. Luck is the most common one. Uh, L-U-C-K. Uh, like, oh, L-U-C-K. Like I get that surprising number of times. Uh, you know that thanks. might just be an autocorrect though, Luke. Yes. Yeah, so that I might think, just be an autocorrect. I think it is an autocorrect. But people should still make the effort. If your name's written right above it, I mean, <laughs> the least they can do, really, is just make sure you spell somebody's name correctly. You know, sometimes when you get an email from somebody whose name is similar to, like, a normal name, but it's it's spelt differently. Like, you know, somebody might might be called Leanne, but they spell it, like, in a, in a different way. Yeah. I always make sure. I always make the effort to to either at least just copy their name and paste it again, so that I've spelled. I know that it's spelled correctly. That's the least I can do, really, isn't it? Yeah, but I think you're right about the autocorrect. I sort of worked that out maybe about five years ago. There's like years and years of me going, "Why can't they spell my name correctly?" And then like a few years, who ago, is like, this like? Oh, of course, it's autocorrect, isn't it? They're writing Luke, but their computer is going, no, 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 I think you mean like or luck. And then the podcast part is also difficult. So uh, I I often get um, pot cat. Pot cat? Yeah, which is... But surely that's just autocorrect as well, doing that. I guess so. But then what's a pot cat? I mean, this is a cat that likes pot. I don't know, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I think it would be a cat that lives in a pot. Right. <laughs> there's different types of cat depending on where they live. Yeah, because there's a house cat, right? And then a pot cat, so you just keep it in a pot, you know, <laughs> on the shelf or something. Like, what kind of cat's that? That's a pot cat. <laughs> it's got small, pot shaped. Yeah, I've got like a, bas- a basket hat cat, a pot cat. Yeah. And then a uh, post postcard as well is, is often how it comes out. People write, oh, thank you for this postcard. Unless that was somebody that you really did send a postcard to and, and you'd forgotten you sent them the postcard. Yeah, that is possible. Although that's unlikely, isn't I it? Don't How is that. France? Is it good living there? Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I mean, Paris is its obviously a beautiful place. its It can mm. be quite stressful. People are always busy and in a hurry and people are a little bit sort of moody and, and uh, just 
generally a bit grumpy. That's kind of like the other side of Paris. But there's the there's the sort of Hollywood side of Paris, which is obviously everything's beautiful. There are flowers, um, you know, people kissing in the street um, and beautiful sunsets. So is it really like that? It, it's really like that, is it, in Paris? It's sort of both, you know. It's, it is like that because sometimes I'll be kind of going to work early in the morning uh, and I cross one of the bridges over the Seine and I just stop and have a look and there it is the Eiffel Tower and the sun is coming up and the river looks absolutely beautiful and uh, there's you know you can see people on their on the terrace drinking their coffee and eating their their um, pan au chocolat and there's a guy playing an accordion and it's just like <laughs> really? I'm living in a Woody Allen movie but then mm. also the other side is that you know you get a metro train and it's rush hour and people are really stressed out and everyone's bumping into each other and uh, and then it, you know some parts of the city are very smelly and just sort of disgusting there's lots of dogs and so therefore there's lots of dog poo <laughs> on the street you know it's sort of both at the same time mm. it's both the wonderful mm. version and the real gritty version both at the same time but I like so. that because it's like we said earlier. You know, you, you you can't have one without the other, can you? It's the same graph. Like, you, you, it's, so it's nice to have both. It makes you appreciate, you know, one and then the other, or or something like that. Yeah, uh, did you, uh, do you do you find that um, Parisians are more militant with um, your pronunciation and your uh, of, of, and your the way that you speak French? Oh, do, yeah. do they pretend they don't understand you if you pronounce something incorrectly? They switch to English instantly if they detect any any level of error in your French. They they just instantly. So the 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 thing that like the myth about the Parisians is that they don't speak English. They do speak English. They just expect you to speak French and get it wrong first before they are willing to switch to English. So and, and then do, do they appear really put out that oh okay we'll switch to English? Is um, it like is it like kind of done with disdain or or are they happy to speak English? No 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 they're happy to the 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 dis, the disdain about speaking English in Paris is when you don't make an effort to speak French first. If you just go straight sure. in with English, they might be a bit and also there's like a code here that is that you have to say bonjour or bonsoir before you do any transaction it's like a password you have to enter into a french person <laughs> before they can actually before they will do anything so you have to say bonsoir or bonjour and then you're okay but if you just jump straight in say yeah can i have a you know can i have a cheese sandwich please and then they'll be like oh you know uh, mm. because you've just been rude you know so yeah the people are normally quite willing to speak to switch to english uh, but you've got to make an effort to speak french first but yeah they, they there is i don't know uh, i would say probably a fairly low tolerance to bad french because anything that's less than perfect is 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 terrible so but then but having said that uh, French people love it when you try and speak French and they find it adorable and cute uh, when mm -hmm. you know an English person is speaking French but they just don't really want to have to tolerate it for too long because you are essentially crushing their language murdering it in front of their eyes <laughs> and is your partner French? yeah she is yeah my and wife so do you French, speak yeah. French in that, uh, your wife is she so you guys speak French in the house? no we speak English at home you speak English at yeah, home? Yeah, I just... Okay, okay. I just sort of... Yeah, I mean, we started in English, you know, and that was the yeah, language right. of the relationship from the very beginning. And so it's very hard uh -huh. to change that now. Also, one of the jokes I make in my stand-up is... is um, 
you know, people, I, I joke about how my French isn't very good. And people always say to me, but you know, you're married to a French girl. Why don't you speak French at home? And the, the, the answer to that is that when I speak French, my, my IQ drops significantly, you know, and I'm like Mr. Really? B. Yeah, I'm like Mr. Because yeah, everything just takes so much longer to process, you know. And so I just, everything slows down. I'm like an old computer uh, that's sort of sure, like, sure. that's got no memory at all. And it's like trying to deal with everything. So I become like Mr. Bean in French. And that's not what really? she signed up for. <laughs> you know, like when she married me, she she signed a, a document, but she didn't marry Mr. Bean. She, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, she yeah. married yeah, someone she... who's actually capable of doing things and communicating. So it's very difficult to switch to French at home. But these are all excuses. All of them are excuses. But, then, but when you're so so when you're out and you're dealing with um, you know Parisian folk in day to day life, how often do you switch to English? Always. Or do you try and do you sort of challenge yourself to sort of see how well you can do? I try. I I try not to switch to English. I let them do it first. So basically, I I um I will um, desecrate their language until they switch to English. <laughs> Enough. Stop. Stop. Yeah, like, stop, we'll stop speak okay, English. We'll speak English. Just stop doing you that. You win. You win. I've had enough. Anything you want. Just take the sandwich and get out. It's amazing. Sometimes uh, people will switch to English instantly. All I need to do is step into the shop and they know. I don't know what it is. Like, they can just smell it. They recognise you from your podcast. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Oh, this is Luke from the Luxury English Podcast. Um, or I'll just say, bonjour, and, they, and they're and they like, instantly they know that I'm not French, and they'll just say, hi, how are you doing, in a perfect American accent. You know? Right. I'm like, oh, I'm fine, yeah, right. thanks. I suppose we're speaking English then. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Very interesting. It's nice because obviously I moved to, um, I moved here, but you know, we speak English in Australia. Uh, Australians speak it differently, more or less. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's always, it's always interesting to hear about, uh, how, uh, friends living overseas deal with the language barrier. But generally I find that everybody speaks really good English, which is, you know, which means that people like me are really lazy. I did a, I did a Zoom call yesterday with some people, other people in Paris, funnily enough, and there were three of them. And it, halfway through, I realized everybody's speaking their second language. Yeah. Everybody's speaking English. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really quite incredible. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. We are incredibly lucky. In a, in a sense that English is our first language because, yeah, we just go around just speaking our first language. We don't have to worry about this whole other thing. I mean, it's different for me because I'm living abroad, but there is this whole other thing for like everyone else in the world, which is having to do stuff in English. And it's like really hard. And also, um, if people don't have a decent level of English, they feel really, uh, they, they feel really bad about it. You know, they, they, it can be like a real problem for a lot of people who, who, if their English isn't quite up to scratch, they can kind of feel like they're not competitive in the marketplace and they feel kind of bad about themselves and stuff. God, it must be awful, especially as English is such a hard language to learn. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I learned it when I was really young, so I can't remember what it was like. But it, uh, none of it, actually, a lot of it, actually makes no sense when you yeah. try and sort of actually figure it out. You're like, okay, so in this word, the e softens the uh, the g and turns it into a g, yeah. but in this word, it doesn't. Even though they've still got the same letters in it, why? Yeah. What, you know, why is gin different to gif? Like it, sh- it shouldn't be. Like it's just 
so much stupid nonsense. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, I don't know. Absolutely, yeah. The spelling and the pronunciation and the disconnect between the two is a huge problem um absolutely but obviously you know in some ways english is easier than other languages this is what people say. i mean it's tricky there, there are some things that are that are easier and some things that are more difficult the the spelling pronunciation problem is a, is a big one but then again like for example a lot of our verb conjugations are a bit of a, a piece of cake compared to some languages what's sorry what's a verb, verb conjugation con- so like the way we say yeah. i go you go we go they go and he goes, she goes, it goes. Okay. Sure. Now in French, you've got like different verb forms for all of those things, right? I, you, we, they, and so on. They're each, if you you've, if you remember from your French classes, having to learn all the verbs and learn yeah. all the different conjugations for the different, you know, different subjects. Um, I can remember there was a there was a thing in French, and this was a very long time ago. So correct me if I'm wrong. I was always really shit at French, but it's like ma- masculine and feminine, and and some things are, are referred to as masculine, like a, a, you know, even though it's just a table or something. And I'm like, yeah. well, why? Or or, or or things that aren't actually male or female are, are, are referred to in different. Yeah. yeah, I seem to remember being really confusing and stressful. Absolutely, just inanimate objects are inanimate objects are masculine and feminine. There seems to be no reason for it as well. It doesn't. I don't see how it adds anything useful to the language, but it's just there. So you know, it's like um, la table, not le table, and. Um, Sure. Oh God, that, I hope that's right. <laughs> I hope that's right. <laughs> There's always that worry. Wife, There's always that. Your wife's going to be so annoyed when she hears this. She'll be like, look, why are you bloody, you know, make an effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. end up speaking to you in English. Um, it's la table. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so, but, so that's weird. You know, like the, maybe the weirdest thing is like sexual uh, body parts are not the, the gender you would imagine. I mean, you know, you get to a certain point, I suppose, in your speaking your French where you end up talking about those things too. But it's surprising. Like the word for a penis is actually female. The, so it's... Um, and, and stuff like I, I, I so don't know. Weird. I don't know. That's just like the most extreme example of the of how it's illogical to have masculine and feminine uh, nouns. But also, you're right. That affects other parts of the sentence as well. So the adjectives that you use for those nouns also have to match the gender, um, right? And uh, yeah, it gets very complicated. And then there's there's in other languages we've got other layers of complication too that English doesn't have. But with English, you've got like loads of vocabulary, like like tons of it, because you know English is a mashup of all these other different languages. It's like a bit of Germanic mm-hmm. and and French and sort of Latin and Anglo-Saxon. It's all sort of squished in all together, and so we've got many different words for the same thing with slightly different meanings or slightly different um, levels of tone, and also. Um, Phrasal verbs, which are a nightmare, you know, like put on, put off, put through, get on, get over, get o- get in, get out, get off, get off with, get through, get oh, through yeah. to. Like, you, you know, like, you, you know, you get in a car, but on a plane. Like, why? Yeah. You know, why, why do you get, look, we're going to go and get in the plane now. No, you get on a plane. Where are you? I'm on but a you, plane. But, but, yeah. But or I'm in a car. Like, why? They're both vehicles. The doors are both closed. I've got the answer. I've got the answer to that. I've got Go the on, answer tell to that. Me. Yeah, yeah. It's quite good as well, the answer, the solution to that one. So are you on a plane or in a plane? Are you on a boat or in a boat? On a bus or in a bus? So if you can stand up 
in in the mode of transport or on the mode of transport, it's on. If you can't stand wow. up, it's in. Now, this is a rule of thumb, as we say in English, a general rule of thumb, but it it works. So just give me a, tra- a form of transport and we'll work out if you can stand up and then we'll apply the rule. Any mode of transport. I'm going to try. Uh, I was going to try a difficult one, like maybe like a like a small boat. Yeah, like a little rowboat, like or, yeah. a, or a canoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a little rowboat, right? Yeah. You could stand up on that. You could. It's Would difficult, you it? but you could do. So you're in. Um, so wait a minute. If you can stand up, it's on. So for, for example, yeah. on a bus, on a train, on yeah. a plane. Okay. If you can't stand up. You're in it, like in a car. Um, okay, uh, so so I'd be in a I'd be, oh no no oh yeah so I'd be on a train, which makes sense. A little rowing boat. You're in the boat now. You can stand up, but you you, you don't really want to, do you? You wouldn't. Yeah, you'd fall in. Yeah, you wouldn't because uh, yeah. there's a good chance you're going to yeah. fall in. Same thing with yeah. a canoe, uh, a kayak. You're in the kayak. You could stand up in it, but again, you're probably going to fall in the you water. Want to. So you get uh you'll get on a skateboard. On a this skateboard, because you stand on the skateboard. You get uh, on a bike. There you go. You don't stand up on a bike. You can stand up on, on a it. bike. You can. You stand up on the pedals. True. And you, True. you're on a yeah. bike. You do You do stand up on it. Uh, horse. That's very good. Horse, same thing. You stand up in the stirrups of a horse, so you can stand on a horse. Um, so is that is that for real, or did you just make this up? No, that's it's, that, it's an actual rule of thumb. <laughs> that's just a rule of thumb. That's not like um, you know, it's not like Cambridge English. Uh, you, know, you know, it's not like at the university they decided. It's not like Shakespeare and, <laughs> and Charles Dickens and Queen Victoria all had a meeting and decided. Well, we'll say that you can stand up. This is the rule. No, it's just a way of. Um, of determining whether it's in or on. It's a, it's just a rule of thumb, but it's not how the language d- was designed because, um, you know, English has never been designed in that way and it's not managed by a, a sort of academic authority that decides what's right and wrong. Uh, but, no, it's just a way of explaining or a way of working out whether you should say in or on. And uh, it's, a, it's amazingly effective, uh, strange way of yeah. working it out, but it works. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'll remember that. That is really, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. And uh, it's been really interesting. And I hope that everyone goes Cheers. and checks out your Instagram and stuff. I hope so. It's a good Instagram, though. It's the sort of thing that will make you uh, happy rather than just feel bad about yourself. Yeah, I think it will. And, and do you know what? You know, if, if everyone wants to follow me, that'd be really nice. And it might make me feel a little bit more validated, you know, on Instagram. So that, you know, that can only be a good thing. And, you know, and I do I do make an effort to put stuff on there. So, you know, maybe it's not so bad after all. I just <laughs> Follow Al on <laughs> Instagram, just everybody. Things that we have to do. Just please, just please yeah, follow him on Instagram. No, Al's nice, and it will make you feel good. And his images are happy and full of joy, and the the joys of life, and and vibrancy, and all that sort of thing. So check out Mysterious and, Al. And can you put the links below, Luke, so people can just click on them without having to spell them? Absolutely, awesome. yeah. So they, you know, Mysterious Thanks, Owl, the other your competitor yeah. on Instagram, doesn't get like clicks instead maybe i should register that for now just in case just so that i've got it in case this blows up (laughs) you should (laughs) okay thanks luke well that's been really good fun and it's perfect timing as well it's um it's 428 here in australia and uh i'll i'll finish up here and i'll go and get my kids yeah okay well start of the day for me the sun is up i'm gonna go out and get myself a like a a croissant and a cup of coffee on a terrace i think 
Is, just quickly, what how what's uh, how how do you take your coffee in um, France? Is it just is it do you have like a flat white or anything like that? Is it? It's not like I tell you what. In Australia, I have to say you're so much better at coffee than they are in 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 Paris. Paris coffee is just it's just they have coffee Filter. which is an espresso. They have uh, yeah. Americano, which is just espresso with a bit of water. They have a, a yeah. cafe au lait, which is just the same thing, but with a bit of milk added to it. Right. Voila, that's it. Cappuccino, okay. which is like no one really has that much. So they sure. don't do coffee in the same level of amazing detail and all the different options yeah. as you get in Australia. We take it very, we take it very, very seriously here. Very seriously. It's um, it's quite great. Often the coffee here is just like fairly sort of nasty little cup of coffee that just gives you caffeine, but it's it's still the the location is nice. Right, let's end this so you can go and get your pick up your daughter. Uh, have a lovely evening. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers, Luke. See you, mate. Cheers. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So that was Mysterious Al. I really enjoyed catching up with him after not having seen him for over a decade. He's exactly the same as he used to be, which is nice. So you might be thinking at this point, Luke, you didn't ask him about Banksy. There's obviously mystique and mystery around Banksy and everyone wants to know who he really is and what he's really like. Okay, so you might be thinking, Luke, you didn't ask Al about Banksy. You said that he used to hang around with Banksy in London. So has he ever met Banksy and does he know the true identity of Banksy? Okay, so yes, Banksy is a fascinating figure and part of the intrigue and mystique is that we don't know who he is. He's anonymous. Uh, yeah, I didn't ask Al, but then I asked him by email. So I sent Al an email after the conversation and I asked him if he's ever met Banksy and if he can tell us Banksy's true identity. And this is Al's response. So Al said, Yes, I have met Banksy a few times. I think everyone who's been in the London scene a long time would have crossed his path. But nobody would ever give away his identity because it would give away the fun and he's worked so hard to protect it. So there you go. Um, Al is uh, keeping stum about that, which I totally understand. And it would be, it would not be cool to uh, give away Banksy's identity. Uh, that's just not on. So there you go. Um, it's a secret. There are various theories about who Banksy is, including one theory that he's a member of Massive Attack, the the, the group from Bristol. Another theory is that. Banksy is one of the founding members of Gorillaz, the band. Or even that Banksy is not just one person. There, there's, there's another rumour that Banksy is like lots of different people all using the same name. I guess we will never know. And that is all part of the mystique and the fun. Anyway, this episode was not about Banksy. It was about Mysterious Al. And if you're curious about Al's work, then yes, you can find him on Instagram. But also, his website is a great place to go if you want to find out about exhibitions in Melbourne and other places, and also if you want to buy some of his work, and that is mysterious.al. Al, A-L, right? Not owl, not the bird. Not the, one of those birds, no. Mysterious Al. Mysterious.al. Okay, that's it. 
That's it, listeners. Remember, P42 is all about phrases from this conversation, not just language to describe art, but any phrases which I think you might not have noticed or that you might not have understood and which could help you push your level of English higher and higher. So check out P42. It's a language review um, about phrases from this conversation. And you can get started by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium to sign up to the premium podcast. But that's it for this one. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks again to Al for being part of the episode. I will speak to you again soon. But for now, it's time. Time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.